Welcome to the latest episode of Anything But Square podcast. On this International Women's Day episode, we have gone back into the archives once again to bring you this memorable and potent talk from Change Our Game Community Sports Symposium in the Edge on Friday the 6th of March 2020. The Change Our Game ambassadors kicked off the symposium with a moving and personal storytelling piece sharing with the audience their own experiences in sport and what drove them to become a leader and commit to making a difference as a Change Our Game ambassador. We hope you enjoy. Morning, Womanjika, kia ora. I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land that we're meeting on today, pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging, and to any First Nation peoples in the room today. We're going to start today's presentation, which is a big focus on community sport and recreation and how that can drive participation and leadership for women and girls in sport, with a wonderful compilation of many of our Change Our Game ambassadors. They're going to speak about their stories, in their words, and share with you some of their experiences. And I just want to warn you that there's some content in here that may be discussed around postnatal depression, suicide, because many of the women in these um, positions have lived lives like many of us, which have been challenging and ultimately very inspirational. So please join me in welcoming the Change Our Game ambassadors. I'm a proud Malayangapa, Barkindji, Nyimpa European woman. My name is Chantelle Thompson, and I would like to pay my respects and acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet today, the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people of the Kulin Nations. I thank them for their custodianship. I pay my respects to elders both past, present, and emerging. I pay my respects and thanks to my ancestors, my mother, my grandmother, and my children, for without them, I would not be the woman that I am today. I would also like to acknowledge everyone in the room today, your families and your ancestors. Growing up as the second eldest of 17 siblings and being a fair-skinned Aboriginal woman, yes, 17. <laughs> Actually, I'm the third eldest of 18, but that's for another day. But growing up as a fair-skinned Aboriginal woman in a small town where you're either black or white, not both, was very challenging and I had to learn to stand my ground from a very young age. By the time I was 18, my auntie thought I needed to learn some self-discipline and some grounding and introduced me to martial arts. However, in 2009, after the birth of my twins, I developed severe postnatal depression, suicidal ideation, and I got to the point where I hurt my daughter and I almost took my own life. It was at this point that I knew that I was not okay and I needed some help. So after turning to my family for support, I decided to go back to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and I used it as a form of physical therapy to treat my postnatal depression. In the beginning, it was very hard. It was very much a boys club and it wasn't that they weren't welcoming, it was just that it was expected that you either fit in or you go home. I think I cried at least twice a week for the first year. But then I got to the point where I became determined to find my own space and I worked to develop the physical strength to match the emotional and mental strength that my culture and my childhood had given me. Jiu-Jitsu gave me a vehicle to find myself, it gave me healing, it gave me my voice, and it gave me a space to call home. Now I'm a three-time world champion in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Oceana Wrestling Champion, and 2019 NADOC Sports Person of the Year. (laughs) 
It is very rare for a person to dream outside of the example they've been given. However, I refused to be defined by my circumstances and I created my own story and I've now given permission for others to do the same. I've broken the cycle of intergenerational trauma, low expectations for not only myself, but for my children and my community and together we're creating a new narrative. I have found my voice, I found my warrior within and through sport I hope to see a quality that transcends race, gender, age and ability. I have now want to empower others to find their warrior within and empower them, and I do this through storytelling and just by being me. Thank you. When I was a kid and I switched on the TV, I didn't see women playing football. When I went to stadiums, I never saw women compete. Even when I went down to my local playing field, I didn't see women kicking balls around or taking up space. When I looked up, the women that I could see weren't doing things that I wanted to do. They didn't have the job or the life that I was interested in having. Making the decision to play football, the world game, just like my brother, meant that I was different. I was doing something that wasn't accepted. I spent 10 years of my life from the age of seven to 17 as the token girl in a league full of only boys in Perth's Premier League. And what a time it was. In some ways, I felt really special. I felt like I'd broken through. I was unique being the only girl. But it was also pretty tough. I felt persistently judged. I felt that by being involved, I was making life so much harder for everybody else around me. But you know what? When I think about what the toughest part of that time was, what I actually remember was a smell. The smell of the team change rooms, the boys change rooms. You see, deciding to play football meant spending what felt like a lifetime in some pretty stinky boys' toilets. It's where we prepared for matches. It's where the banter happened. It's where the team tactics were talked through. You know, those change rooms, they were kind of like an inner sanctum. You have to feel welcome in that inner sanctum if you're going to be at your best. I didn't feel welcome. I didn't belong. But I parked myself in there anyway. I had to if I was going to be part of the team. Those change rooms, they're not unlike other inner sanctums that I've encountered throughout the course of my career. Whenever I felt different at a boardroom table in an important meeting, Sometimes I feel like I did when I was in those change rooms, like I don't belong. And with that feeling, I'm reminded of that smell, those dank, dark urinals. It's a strange visceral reaction. It's a stench that wafts over me. And with that stench comes that feeling deep at that bottom of my gut. It's a familiar and really unsettling feeling. They don't want me here. They don't think I belong. They're just waiting for me to prove what they already think. Girls can't play. Girls shouldn't be here. It's an exhausting feeling. But more than that, it's not an easy place from which to succeed. If we're going to change the game, if we're going to create a different future for that next generation of little girls switching on their TV and trying to figure out where they belong in the world, What's in our systems? What's in our structures? What's in our culture that needs to change? So that little girls throughout their lives 
genuinely belong and so that they genuinely have every opportunity to succeed. The future that I want to see, the future that I want that next little girl looking up to see, is one where women in sport are not a curiosity. We're not a point to be proven. We're just being ourselves. And no one raises an eyebrow when we're being tough, assertive, powerful, on the football field or in the boardroom. Because as a community, we genuinely accept women and girls for being strong and bold, just like our brothers. But you know what, actually? Just like our mums. My journey in sport started many years ago when I worked for Life Beyond Australia, and I had several roles before I found my way into Melbourne Victory. My passion for sport is not about what people can do on the pitch or on the field, it's about what sport does for people. I've seen uh, a young girl with autism join her local soccer club because of her love of Melbourne Victory. I've seen Archie Thompson with dying children. I've seen a player get a child to walk when he was recovering from cancer and no one else could get him to walk. These are emotional experiences and the, the list of examples that I have is endless. I'm a big believer in volunteering and there's no doubt that my voluntary roles helped me in my work at Melbourne Victory. It also meant that I hired Guljan Koja, who was a W League player. She didn't get her job for that reason. She got it because she put her hand up to volunteer time and time again. So she got her dream job, and she's been a winner for the club ever since. After two years of very hard work, I was absolutely delighted when the state government announced $10 million in funding for the Melbourne Victory Women's and Youth Academy. That level of investment sends a very loud message that women's sport is important, and I can't wait to see that facility built. That was a career highlight for me, but I'm not done yet. My experiences in sport led me into my new role as the CEO of Crime Stoppers, where I help the community in a different capacity and where I often talk about the importance of sport in crime prevention. I've seen for many years men administer sport and I've seen what the men get and I've seen what the women get. Even in community sport, young girls have been missing out. I have a son and a daughter and it would never occur to me to ask either one to go outside to get changed. But that's what's been happening in sport, as Tell pointed out, for many years. I absolutely want to see women succeed and I relish any opportunity I get to promote women and to encourage leadership for women because I've often been the one woman in the room of 100 men. I want to see women step up into leadership roles and I really want to see men give women the space and the opportunity to do that. As a young girl, excuse my voice, I'm very husky today. <clears throat> As a young girl, I used to follow my mum and my sister to the netball courts. As a five-year-old, it was all that I knew. I was tall and lanky, not too dissimilar to how I am now. Um, but because of that, 
I used to miss out on teams. I never made the A team. Um, but it took for one person to believe in me. Out of, you know, maybe five netball clubs, just this one person to put me through into my first state team. And from there, my career really took off. In 2003, I was in my first Melbourne team. I remember rocking up to the netball courts, looking out at the crowd of about a thousand people or so, probably not too dissimilar to what's here today. It was my mum and all her friends. Gotta love Kaz. And from there, all I wanted to do was grow the sport. A lot of sweat, tears and hard work later, it was 2015. I was in the Australian team and I was walking out into Kudos Bank Arena at the Netball World Cup in front of 17,500 people. The biggest, uh, it was the biggest crowd netball had ever had and I was a part of it. It was the best moment of my career because all I ever wanted to do was make netball big. I pushed myself on the radio. I pushed myself on TV. And to be honest with you, it was for free, majority of the time. But I wanted us to get all the newspaper articles, all the TV that the men were getting. And I wanted us, because we were one in 12, to be paid like the men. Not everyone is as confident as me. I get that, I'm quite confident. Um, but confidence comes from experience. I wasn't always confident, but you've got to push yourself outside your comfort zone. It doesn't feel nice, but I tell you what, it's worth it. And if we really want to change our game, then I'm asking each and every one of you to stand up and take your place as a woman in the Australian sporting landscape. It's scary, but you've got this, and all of us, we've got you. As a kid, I loved riding my bike around the family farm. I remember when my mum went on the Great Victorian bike ride and I couldn't wait until I was old enough to join her. As a family, we would go to the Warrigal Track Cycling Carnival every year where I just thought it was a men's sport. When I first saw a woman competing, I remember running down the track and peering over the fence to get a closer look. I started cycling seriously as an adult when there were still very few women. I would train with the local men at 8am on a Sunday morning in a big bunch covering the country roads because that was the only option. I quickly realised I had to be fit enough and tough enough to hang with the men. If you got dropped, it was a long ride home alone. Ask me how I know. There was no space to help newcomers into the sport, to let people progress at their own pace and to enjoy the ride along the way. Since then, the sport of cycling has changed, and I'm proud to have been part of this change. In 2010, I joined the Board of Cycling Victoria, when only 11% of our members were women. When I left in 2016, the membership share was 18%. It doesn't sound like much, but the change was significant. I found once you got more women involved, it made it much easier to get other women involved and to challenge traditional attitudes. There's not a lot of money in sports like cycling, and there's even fewer dollars if you're a woman. So to drive change, you need to have a lot of passion. I found change is hard and slow, and advocating for change can burn you out. Ask me how I know. <laughs> 
I soon realised you needed to ignite the passion of the next generation so they can continue pushing for growth and change. Sport doesn't belong to any particular group of people. It belongs to all of us. And as owners of sport, it is up to all of us to change it for the better, to light the candle of passion for the next generation and to help everyone come along and enjoy the ride. I play a pretty crazy sport. It's not boxing or rugby or speed skating, but it does actually combine all those things together at once. I'd like to play roller derby. I know, what the hell is roller derby? I asked myself the exact same question at the first game I went to, and it changed my entire life. It was strong women and folk. It was bold. It was unapologetic. Roller derby absolutely changed my life. And it has the power to change anyone's life. Coming from a non-mainstream sport, you're already facing extra challenges um, joining something new. So in 2017, my team, we won the world title, and it was one of the best feelings in my life. How do we do it? We took a risk. We created something new, we did something that no one had ever seen before, and we created strategies that were completely um, unheard of. It's hard to try something new, to step out of the comfort zone, to stand back up when people are literally mowing you down. But we did, and it was the best feeling of my life. Sport quickly became a vehicle for change for me. It was the first place I felt comfortable to be gay. It was where I saw people of different body shapes and sizes, and it was where I saw trans and gender diverse athletes celebrated at all levels. Sport really does have the power to create the new normal, and it was here that I felt comfortable to be my true, authentic self. I think it's important that we look at today and the excellent campaign that we've seen. I've had an opportunity to be speaking to young women who are normally dropping out of sport and encouraging them, hey, give it a go, look what you can achieve, and I got to become a world champion out of it, which is a pretty cool feeling. So sport really is a catalyst for change. It's something that can um, transcend beyond just sport. It's bigger than that. It's not just about putting on my roller skates and running into people, although I do love that. It's about being a strong, powerful person in the world. It's about holding my head high. It's about walking into a room, no matter how many men are in there, and feeling really confident about the space that I occupy. Because if I can get back up when someone's literally hitting me down, then I feel like I can do anything. That's what our stories are today. Our stories are the little train that could. And wouldn't it be amazing if that was a bit easier? Wouldn't it be amazing if that was the new normal? So we're here today to celebrate gender equity in sport and gender equity in our community. So what are you waiting for? Get your skates on. I'm here today to represent netball, but I believe it is the greatest sport in the world. I'm, I'm sorry if that offends anyone in the room. But I'm just so lucky that I had that passion as a young girl at an early age. I grew up in country Victoria, a little place called Camperdown, and I just played every sport, but netball just was in my heart. And I remember I was in grade five and sitting at school, and we had this famous netballer come down. And she spoke to us about playing on TV, traveling the world. And I went home to mum and dad, and I said, I'm going to do that. 
From that moment, my career in netball was really just hard work. I was a battler. I played at five different clubs, anyone that would take me. I played for 12 years, believe it or not. But I remember there'd be years that I wouldn't get the cut, I wouldn't get in, to the point where I would even bring a coach and say, look, can I just train? Can you put me on the management? Because I just need to get in there and push myself to be at the level to compete. From there, I took so much from being an elite netballer. I studied, became a teacher, but the thing that really stood out to me was, what about the girls that are a little bit like me, that don't quite make it, that kind of just do it for the love? And I thought, what did I really need when I was young? And throughout my netball, this, the last time I, I got delisted, I came home to mum and she said to me, Sarah, what's your strengths? And then what are you passionate about? And go and attack it with the same energy and effort that you put into being an elite athlete. And my prep teacher, believe it or not, was in the room and she just said, Sarah, you're just great with kids. And I just, I do. I love connecting with adolescent girls and young girls and encouraging them to get active. So I came up with the idea of NetFit. And NetFit started as a netball gym class. I thought, how can we create a lifestyle brand in the highest participated sport that we have in the country? Let's make it fun. Let's not make it you get cut. Let's not make it that you're not good enough. You don't look this way. You don't look that way. And to, to today, NetFit is now an online platform. It's an app and we're in 24 different countries with like-minded girls all over the world training together, supporting each other with this sense of belonging to somewhere. They all go off, they all play their own games, they all have their challenges, but there's a band of elite netballers that are part of that leadership team on there. And our mission is to pass on all the great learnings that we've learnt, um, the highs and the lows, and we talk about being authentic and sharing the highs and the lows of what it's really like. And when Kim Green and I, so Kim helped me create this next digital phase. And she said, says, there's so many people on YouTube, there's so many girls talking to the camera, makeup tutorials, and that's fantastic. But how can we be a presence to drive participation, to try to remind that girl that it's okay to fail, and it's actually okay to fail five times in a row. So getting on TikTok, being a presence on Instagram, talking to the consumer that we all try to change mindset is where my heart and my passion is. I'm really proud to be a part of Change Our Game because my way of changing our game is to create a community where people feel safe, people feel accepted, and I'll be doing it for the rest of my life. Thank you. I started off life as a cricketer. I played for the local boys club. I was the only girl. It was a time when the boys would call me a girl as an insult and it never occurred to me to fight back and challenge them. There came a time when I was too old and I couldn't play with the boys anymore, yet there were hardly any women's clubs. The closest club was 40 minutes drive away. I played for a women's club which had the Australian captain of the, cricket, of the women's cricket team playing for them at the time, yet we had no designated change rooms, only women's toilets. I guess you could say life threw up some roadblocks for many young girls aspiring cricketing career. I was introduced to the sport of javelin at high school. I decided this was going to be my event. I loved lycra. <laughs> Injuries have always been a huge hurdle, but sometimes the tough cut stuff can also produce your finest moments. Coming back from my second ACL reconstruction in time to qualify for the 2016 Rio Paralympics is probably a career highlight. 
Other career highlights have been the medical staff, which saw me through my injuries and rehab. They had a genuine interest in seeing me succeed, and to today have probably been some of my biggest supporters. I sit on the board now of Disability Sport and Recreation and try and pay back the advocacy afforded to me. I don't advocate as much for women's sport as I like to, I know I can do more, but I see many parallels in the challenges with disability sport and women's sport. Sometimes I think, what would I say to the next Maddie Hogan? I think I'd say, don't be afraid to be yourself, and in being so, don't be afraid to be a little different. I hope the next Maddie Hogan feels supported and welcome in club rooms. I hope she's not afraid to live outside of her comfort zone. And I hope she has the option of tailored uniforms to her unique female body. Tapered shirts and shorter sleeves on the left, maybe. <laughs> I also hope the next Maddie Hogan never has to refer to herself in third person. We've made huge inroads in women's sport, and I love seeing the change. But I'd love to see more media coverage of women's sport and disability sport, better facilities for women, and of course, a world where being called a girl means being recognised as a valued, supported human with limitless potential. Just a game. It's a useful mantra when your job is composure amid chaos. But the reality is, footy has never been just a game to me. As a kid from South Australia's York Peninsula, I was never far from a footy field. I used to wander the outskirts of the ground with the older kids, dad in the centre, mum on the netball courts. I'd have a Cornish pasty in one hand and a bunch of Milkos from the canteen in my pocket. In those days, the standard uniform for goal umpires was an oversized white coat and an even bigger moustache. After shifting to Brisbane, I marvelled at the unstoppable Darren Jarman kicking a bagful for the Crows on TV. And I watched the rising Brisbane Bears star Michael Voss in awe from the Gabba stands. I was there when Katrina Presley, the first woman to umpire in the AFL, took her place behind the goals. I didn't think twice when asked to wave the flags to the boys' teams in high school. The following year, umpiring was the perfect part-time job to complement my studies in clarinet at the Queensland Conservatorium. Both vocations require dexterous index fingers. <laughs> As a 17-year-old footy fanatic, being a girl was beside the point. Five years later, when I was contracted to the AFL, being a girl was becoming the point. I moved to Melbourne, the heartland of football, home of the MCG, a cauldron of passionate supporters. I thought they'd eat me alive. I had visions of standing in front of the Collingwood cheer squad, being showered with verbal abuse. But to be honest with you, this hasn't really been the case. Scrutiny has its advantages. Umpires used to be derided as white maggots. But I've been subject to shouts of, love your work, you go girl, from Aboriginal women across the fence when umpiring in Alice Springs. I've blushed when approached at the grocers by an excited father whose daughters play for a new girls team. And I swelled with pride the day a member of the Collingwood cheer squad gave me the ultimate spray when they said, Chelsea, you're doing a great job, love. In 2012, I was the first woman to umpire a grand final. The lead-up to that game was nuts. It attracted a lot of attention. 
I really had to focus on finding a balance between recognising the moment and doing the job that needed to be done. Over the years, footy has come to mean so much more to me than having the best seat in the house and rubbing shoulders with heroes of the game. The pressures to prove myself and fit in have taught me lifelong lessons. The roadblocks that remain for women in my sport are cultural things. They're the difference between surviving and thriving. For example, bringing a woman into a role and expecting her to behave like a man simply isn't realistic. Not if we want change. Change demands a culture shift that values the flexibility of thinking differently. Then, maybe one day, meat pies and yelling ball for holding decisions will be as ingrained as a tradition of women with whistles. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Anything But Square. We encourage you to subscribe to the podcast and sign up to our newsletter at fedsquare.com. Take care and we'll see you next time.